Hey everyone, our friends from artsreligionculture.org who we interviewed in episode 14 are having an amazing gathering this spring in Boston on March 9th and 10th. This is going to be an awesome time in which creativity, imagination, and spirituality come out and play together. The Rising is going to be there and we'd love to have you join us. You can register at theopoeticsconference.org and listeners of The Rising get 10% off the registration fee with the code THERISING. We hope to see you there. We want to know, how can spirituality transform our social movements? And how can activism connect us to a life that embodies radical compassion? We'll ask these questions and more on The Rising, Spirituality for Revolution. Hello, and welcome to The Rising, Spirituality for Revolution. I'm Rebecca Burnt. And I'm Chelsea McMillan, and we're spiritual directors exploring the intersection of spirituality and social change. So Chelsea, you and I are both white women, which means that we probably both do yoga. Is that (laughs) correct? Um, I don't like how you just assumed that, but (laughs) it is definitely true. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think... um, I just say this as someone who has been, you know, certainly I'm not a hardcore practitioner of yoga, but I really appreciate it. have gotten a lot out of it. Um, Going to yoga studios generally hit all my buttons for like the type of aesthetic Mm. that I like. Um, I like going and, you know, buying fancy yoga clothes sometimes, I have to confess. Really? I'm a little shame to admit it. I do sometimes like (laughs) to do that. I don't think this is where I expected that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... You know, it has been both nourishing to me in some ways, and and it is also very much like a corporate uh, sort of industry that is trying to sell me on this idealized version of who I can be Mm -hmm. in a way that um, is often exploitative and appropriating and it's it's I say this I I don't generally buy all that much fancy yoga clothes because I don't really have the money to do it but I have on occasion and and it's it is is it is it is a temptation to get caught up in some of that stuff even though I've gotten a lot out of the yoga and the wellness world it's um it does sometimes feel like I'm participating in something that I don't doesn't totally align with my values Mm -hmm. that's interesting because um one thing I've talked about a lot with a friend of mine who is a yoga teacher is how like the yoga and wellness industry um, is really about like self-optimization. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's what they're selling us on is like, be the best person that you can be. And yeah. that means also the healthiest and like you eat your veggies and you drink your green smoothies and you wear the right clothes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you get a massage every week, which I actually think would be life-changing for most people, but yeah. it's also like not accessible for most yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, I actually think so. I mean, some of that stuff is good, and sometimes though, I, you know, I need yeah. I need that inspiration to be the best self I can be, and to like push mm. myself to like to to engage in healthier habits and stuff. But it can also become kind of sol- solipsistic and, and yeah. individualistic, and it just becomes all about me being the best self I can be um, in a way that sometimes feels disconnected from the issues in the wider world and and Mm -hmm. structural issues of oppression um, that keep a lot of people from being the best selves that they could be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think something 
that we've said so many, like, I don't know, I feel like I've said it so many times is like people who are on their mats, on their cushions, thinking like they can just be the change, or they know, like they know that we're all one, but that there's a realization of like, well, that's not what the world actually reflects. Like, yeah, and how are you going to make it actually happen in the world? So I think today we have a great guest who will talk about this, someone who really went into the yoga community or came from the yoga community and really wanted to organize and mobilize um, people who are in yoga and wellness spaces and um, mobilize them to turn that self-care into collective care and mutual care. Yeah. And, and and systemic change too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So we're really excited to be talking to Carrie Kelly today. Carrie is the founder of Citizen Well, an emerging movement to mobilize people into a powerful force for well-being for all. She spent seven years as executive director of the nonprofit Off the Mat into the world and is currently on faculty. She is relentless in her commitment to elevating leaders, groups, and projects to next-level social change makers through her work with the Catalyst Collective, an innovative consultancy designed for mission-based individuals, groups, and organizations that want to be successful and make a difference in the world. Well, welcome, Carrie Kelly. <laughs> We're so glad to have you on our show. I am really excited because every time I talk to you, I'm just like, holy shit, this is exciting. Carrie's a badass. <laughs> so I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to be here in the company of other badasses. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thanks. Well, let's just dive right in. And um, so you work, you're the founder and president of Citizen Well. And I'd love to just hear about the story behind Citizen Well. How did that start? And what was your inspiration behind it? Mm. Gosh, that's like a tell me your life story question. <laughs> um, so many things inspired it. You know, I think um, in many ways it was seeded many different times throughout my life and, and sprouted and emerged, um, not just because of life's experiences, but because of so many people that shaped it and informed it. But, you know, I would say that um, I've had a series of wake up calls in my life that have taught me a lot and that have given me a perspective on the world that that has informed what citizen well is and what it's becoming and, and certainly the first one for me was 9-11 um, I lost my stepdad who was a fireman um, he was one of the first firemen to respond to the towers and made it up to the floor of impact in tower two wow yeah and you know embodied a, a spirit of service in a way that I had never known or understood up until that moment. Um, and so losing him was a, a big shift in my life, as was just um, being a part of 9-11 and, and having kind of the world land on our doorstep um, and sort of crack open, if you will, our relationship to the world, right? Not just the bubble that we were living in, but the, the world as a whole. And, and to be perfectly honest, up until that point, I, I had been sort of um, living a life that I had been, been sold, right? Of, of like growing up in a, a suburb of New York, um, white picket fence, um, privileged. <laughs> um, I grew up an overachiever and, and really got reinforced as I was growing up by a culture that that rewarded my overachieving, my striving, my competition, my ambition. And so I 
I moved through that in my in my growing up years in high school and through college and then very naturally trans transitioned into a, a career of sales and marketing where I could continue to be fed by that sort of conditioning. And so 9-11, you know, was a huge disruption for me of, of that way of being, of that perspective on the world um, and of that path that I had really chosen of myself for myself, right, to, to strive and to compete and to, you know, curate and design the, the perfect picket fence life. <laughs> um, and once 9-11 happened, I think that that illusion was really disrupted for me. And I just started to question everything, including who I was on this planet to be. So that is the thing actually that put me on this path of, of healing. That's when I discovered meditation and yoga and, and really the, um, the healing arts and the work of turning inward to both allow myself to grieve and listen and learn, um, but also to be curious about what I was on this planet to do. And I'm super grateful that I had the privilege and, and access to those tools and resources because it really did almost recalibrate my life away from that sort of nine to five, um, super striving corporate ladder path to one that was um, much more curious, much more open and much more trusting in my own capability to heal and be um, in the world in a way that was purposeful and impactful. And it was right about that time that I met Sean Korn um, and the work of Off the Mat Into the World. And that really called me because that was really bridging um, for me the healing, the, the work of healing arts, the work of yoga and meditation and mindfulness and its role in how we lead, in how we serve, in how we make change. And so I knew there was something to that intersection that really called me because that was the experience I was having within my own life, right? That, that I was able to really heal from within, um, given my access to these incredible resources, and that I was being called to be in the world in a really different way since 9-11. But as I stepped onto that path, you know, something interesting happened. I both, I was, you know, I'm 42, so I was on like the wellness tip right when it was starting to like surge. So I got to watch like yoga and meditation um, and healing arts really explode into the mainstream, mm. which for me was both like a huge opportunity um, mm. and, and a huge risk, right? Because while on one hand I was seeing people wake up on their mats, um, quit their jobs, become curious um, and critical of what was happening in the world, I was also seeing the way that um, capitalism and, and commercial America was sort of co-opting mm. the healing arts and sort of and, and repackaging it to be just like sort of more of the same, right? Selling us another narrative of you're not good enough and you should buy all these things to feel complete and whole. And so that to me, that that to me was where I, I really think that Citizen Mall was seated, right? Because I was like, wow, here's this incredible opportunity and invitation for people to see the world differently and for people to feel empowered to engage and be in relationship with one another and with the world in a different way. And how easy it is for us to, to get sort of sucked into that sort of co-opting um, and that conditioning around yoga and healing arts as, um, as a commodity, right. And as, and as a privilege and as a luxury. 
And so it felt important to both disrupt that, but also mobilize this sort of what I felt was like a latent power and community that was rising up that didn't just have the external resources of like money and privilege and access and education, but that also had this inner capacity to confront the complexity of what it is to be alive in the world. And so that's sort of like how Citizen Well emerged. And, you know, we looked at what are other communities that are, are, are getting mobilized around shared values and practice. And we looked at things like the evangelical church on the right. Mm. And I even went like undercover at Saddleback, right, to learn about how are they, <laughs> how are they organizing based on shared value, shared practice, shared spiritual ground. Um, we looked at the NRA, right, that, that was such a powerful lever in, um, in, our, in our government in upholding the Second Amendment that was really mobilizing people. People around a shared passion and lifestyle. We looked at the AARP that was really rallying people around um, a lifestyle and a demographic. And so anyway, so we were just curious about what does it look like to come together, not just around a political position or around issues, but around shared values, shared story, shared lifestyle, um, shared urgency, and engage in the moment. And so that's sort of like Citizen Well really emerged out of that. It's like almost like a, an aperture or a crack. And then I went to like everybody I know um, who I felt like was straddling healing arts and social change and put together a really like amazing and inspiring um, founding circle to help inform the DNA of what Citizen Well would become because I knew that it wasn't enough for it to come from me, that it had to be informed by a lot of different voices and a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different people for it to actually feel inclusive and accessible and available to everyone. Mm. Carrie, I'm wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit about what Citizen Well is doing right now. Yeah. So, I mean, we've done so many different things because like all things, we were like a, it's like we're an organism <laughs> that has evolved in many different ways. Um, you know, the first thing that we did when we launched um, in New York was we we allied up with the issue of Fight for 15. SEIU was putting together a coalition of many different groups who could actually mobilize together and build power together to fight for a living wage. And we picked that issue, A, because it was it was such a critical need at the time and it was a real emergent issue. But as as an organization that was mobilizing around well-being values, it felt like a really important almost experiment. To, to kind of pick an issue and to center a social justice issue that in some ways didn't even feel for many people like a wellness issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but we knew that economic well-being, economic justice, economic equality was one of the biggest barriers in the way of democratizing well-being. And that was, that was our vision, was to democratize well-being so that it wasn't just a privilege or a luxury, but, but it was actually the conditions where everyone could thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started with that issue, which was a really, really great reach for us um, because it challenged us to like connect the dots right between our personal well-being and our collective well-being between economic justice issues and um, and broader wellness well-being issues. Um, and it allowed us to be in a really authentic and often messy process of like learning how to be an ally, learning how to be in real relationship 
with a, a community of people, with, um, with a movement, with a coalition of many different members so that we can learn how to like find our place in the movement and make the best contribution. So I'm so grateful that we, we, we made that leap right out of the gates because it taught us so much about who we were, about the, the well-being gap and, and how people were in relationship to deep justice issues and what it was going to take to bridge those issues and bridge those communities. Um, and so since then, we've just sort of been building on that that experience and that learning. Um, we've participated in food system reform campaigns. We've participated in um, sanctuary campaigns. We've participated in voting rights campaigns and, and really have identified um, what is the greatest need of this moment and what is in the way of universal well-being and then how how can we be um, in the practice of solidarity and how can we be a helpful ally in service of, of this work. And so that's, I would say, you know, that's sort of been our journey over the last couple of years. But where we are right now is, um, I think, in a, a deep practice of, especially since the election, right, where it's like raining every day. We're like being hit with like one rollback after the other. Um, I think right now we're, we're always sort of, we always exist to like mobilize this really big community of 80 million people engaged in lifestyles of health and sustainability and, and spiritual practice in social and political justice. But I think we're, we're even more um, curious and committed to the how we do that, even more than the what do we do, so that we can be in the business of transformative change and not just defense um, and resistance and transactional mm. change. And so, um, you know, we've been since the election really um, listening and learning and following the lead of frontline communities and just in a constant inquiry of like, um, how can we be of service? What is our role given our location to this issue, given our location to systems of power? And what is the contribution that we can make that's helpful to moving the needle forward? Mm. You know, one thing I'm I'm really curious about, you spoke earlier, and I've heard this story before about you going to Saddleback uh, Church undercover kind of to um, just to study the ways that they bring people together. And I know that, first of all, Chelsea and I both have a background of coming out of evangelical churches, uh, being raised in them. And Part of the reason we started this podcast is because I think we both really believe that we've seen how spirituality can be so integral to bringing people together to work together for a cause. Developing collective spiritual practices is one of the primary ways that we reinforce shared values and uh, organize around them. So I'm curious about what you learned from them, number one, like if there was anything good or bad that you learned from being part of that community for a while, because it is one that I think a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast who have progressive politics might wonder, like, what would you learn from a place like Saddleback, which is probably full of a lot of very conservative people, number one. And number two, um, I'm curious about how you're bringing people together and reinforcing shared values that are the people that are part of the wellness community, because I think most of us, when we think of yoga people and wellness people, and I would include myself in that, we think of, of white, privileged, 
um, largely white, you know, more middle class and upper middle class people. That's right. And how are you bridging that when you're supporting people who are just fighting for $15 an hour, you know, people who are really on the margins of society? What have been some of the challenges and how has all of that worked together? Yeah, uh, gosh, what did I learn from Saddle? I mean, it was a totally um, wild experience, right, to go and to be a part of that. And I was raised Catholic, so I was a recovering Catholic going into that experience. So I had I had a lot of feelings about being there, personal and um, and collective. But I think what I uh, what I really appreciated about what they were doing was they were able to organize around both depth and scale. And and by depth, I mean um, by rooting their community in in values and in shared story and in shared practice, right? I think that's really big too, like that it's not just a verbal uh, tool um, or asset, but that there was like a real embodied practice around it as well. They were they were able to actually find common ground, uh, despite all of the different ways in which people come into community from different perspectives, bringing different um, privileges and and uh, locations and relationship to power. So there was something that gave their work real roots that had everything to do with their DNA. And then they were able to scale, I think, because of that depth, right? It's sort of like the, the, way, a, the way a tree grows, right? You set your roots deep and then you can expand um, in lots of different directions. And I think we, you know, we, were, we saw the power of, of scale with their network. And I think, you know, I, I heard this last year that they, they average, I think, over 7,000 weekly groups that meet outside of the the congregation, wow. right? So talk about like community power, you know, 7,000 per week plus are meeting and are having a shared experience based on shared values that are, that is in relationship to their community. And so so that was really powerful. That was a really powerful framework, I think, for us to notice. And as we started to sort of design Citizen Well, we we looked to replicate some of those learnings. Um, but to your point, right, um, you know, one of my mentors says that we can't just organize around who we are. We have to organize around who we are becoming. And so it wasn't enough for us to just organize people in the wellness community who already had the privilege of access and time and money and awareness that allows us to be deeply steeped in, in these tools and resources and practices. But we actually had to we had to be organizing around who we are becoming when we when we will have democratized well-being, right? When we will have created the conditions where everyone has the agency and the access to thrive in their own authentic way. And so to do that, it was really important for us to center a practice. And I think this is just, this is already anchored in spirituality of self-awareness and not just the awareness, the awareness of me, who am I, what am I here to do, but the awareness of like, what is my location in relationship to systems of power, right? And how do we actually include a systemic context in the way in which we awaken to our purpose and awaken to our relationship to um, the world around us? And so that's been really central to us. Um, and when we talk about our theory of change, you know, we talk about the need to transform not just the self which I think, you know, a lot of wellness culture is, is, you know, committed to transforming the self, self-help, right? And, and that's it. But we, we actually, our practice, our theory of change, um, everything we do 
acknowledges the need not just to transform the self, which we believe is necessary. It's like, it's like what Rev Angel says, that um, there can be no social change without inner change. But we also have to transform our relationships to one another and reweave the social fabric. And we have to transform the systems that we live in so that everybody can thrive, right? And to do that, we have to acknowledge that the systems right now are rigged Mm-hmm. in favor of white, privileged, um, upper-class, English-speaking individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of what we do to to practice engaging and to practice like what it is to create the conditions of well-being for ourselves and others um, has to include not just what's going on within us, but what's going on around us. And that's not to like shame people of privilege for their ability to be well, um, but it is to take responsibility for our part in the whole and what it is that we can do with our access and our agency and our resources so that we can be really effective, aspiring allies in relationship to frontline communities so that we can be working together to, um, to ensure that everyone can be well. So that and and obviously, like since, you know, this last election and since I think the the public consciousness has been up around issues of white supremacy and racial justice and economic inequality um, and misogyny, you know, we're having that conversation more and more frequently with more um, ease and more access and and we just we just don't do this work of contemplating well-being without it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what, what are some of the specific ways you're organizing people and bringing them into Citizen Well? Um, how have you done outreach or actually sort of mobilizing people around some of these issues? Yeah, that's been a real um, learning experience for us. You know, I think before the election, we were, you know, we were just um, doing a lot of field organizing and, and really looking to people who understood the idea of, of mutual well-being, that our personal and planetary well-being are connected. But I will be honest, you know, once the election happened, and I think everybody had like a pause of like what the hell just happened. Yep. And and we had that. I mean, we were mobilizing around the election. And so we, we knew that it, there was a high likelihood that he could get elected. But we we actually hadn't planned for that day. <laughs> We hadn't been like, who will we be when he's in office? Because we were mm-hmm. we were just fighting so hard to defend the the office of president from someone like yeah. him. You so, and I were both at Marianne's Marianne Williams oh, thing that's on right. election. Night. I have such a funny story about that because you know she saw she saw that right early on in the night I don't know if you remember that but I was like head down on my computer like literally counting every district poll that had come in and I was just holding out hope and she turned to me at one point she was like Carrie put pick your head up and like realize what's happening she really had to kind of shake me out of my like head down Mm. analysis to be like I think this is happening and we have to now I think she was she was calling me to like ground in spiritual sustenance like okay now we have to turn to spirit now we have to turn to each other um, and prepare for what's coming I'm so grateful to her as a teacher for that and that's for our listeners that's Marianne Williamson you're talking about yeah 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 who's been an incredible mentor and friend and ally in this work and teacher like fierce teacher Um, and that was one of those moments Um, but you know the next day and many weeks after you know I, I I think we were really contemplating 
whether we were doing enough, and I don't mean that from a scarcity standpoint, but we we were we had done a really good job of sort of preaching to the choir. It was like we were all in a bubble having our own language of, um, you know, systems of oppression and and practices of liberation. Um, and and yet, you know, I I was curious about you know all of the other people that are engaged in lifestyles of wellness who were not bought into that that narrative and the role that we could play in helping um, bring them into greater social and political consciousness. And so we just started to get curious around, especially given what you said before, that we we are a community of of white privilege, right, of access and resources. Um, is our role better served not to like be preaching to the choir and mobilizing people who are already on board, but to actually do the work of bridging people who aren't. And so that's had us really busy over the last, you know, year and change um, in thinking about um, instead of building something and expecting people to come to us, like having an awakening and, and just showing up at our doorstep, what does it look like to meet people where they are in their Im imperfect and messy understanding of what's happening in our country, um, in whatever illusions that we hold about our own self-care or personal well-being and, and how it's separate from the well-being of other people? Um, how do we reach out and intervene in those spaces and in those communities to, to create an experience of what we call mutual well-being and the idea that our well-being is in fact bound and there can't be a well-being of me unless there is a well-being of we. And so we've really shifted our strategy over the last, I don't know, 18 months to one of culture shift. Like, what does it look like for us to transform what we believe about ourselves and about one another so that we can um, lean into being in, in authentic relationship with one another so that we can wake up to the systems that we exist in, so that we can disrupt and dismantle those systems, and so that we can realize that, you know, in order for us to be liberated, we all need to be liberated. And so we created a tool right after the election called Well Read, which was sort of like a weekly toolkit, if you will, for the community um, to keep people informed about what's going on. Because we heard from the community that people were really overwhelmed um, and sort of like frozen from the, I think, the intensity and, for, and from all that was at stake. And so we were like, okay, here's what you need to know. So we would curate the news for people. We would tell them things that they can do to make a difference, right? That, that, that directly supported frontline communities. So we gave people a pathway to practice allyship and solidarity. And then we centered self-care and mutual care and the idea that like, and we have to take care of each other along the way if we're going to sustain this like what we know to be a marathon and not a sprint, right? Like we actually need people to stay engaged for the long haul. And so what does it look like to create a culture of collective care, of mutual well-being so that we can take care of ourselves and one another and keep going, um, you know, towards the future that we, we know that we all deserve. And so we've been sort of um, experimenting with that a bit more. Um, and, and through that, we've been working in partnership with frontline communities around issues like immigrant rights and sanctuary so that we can translate some of those um, really critical real-time urgent issues 
into something that our community can understand and bridge into. Um, so last year we, we partnered with um, Make the Road, Center for Popular Democracy, um, Action Groups Network, and a bunch of others in a coalition to create resources and cultural on-ramps for mainstream communities to actually um, find their way to be in relationship to issues um, of migrant rights, to how to create sanctuary in our homes, in our workplaces, in our yoga studios, in our spiritual centers, so that we could learn how to be of service in our own authentic way um, to this like very critical need to keep our communities intact and make sure that everybody has the conditions of safety and, and well-being. And so that was like an incredible opportunity and learning for us around a how to like listen and take the lead from frontline communities who are the most impacted and to really learn how to like ask and follow and then create um, tools and resources, conversations, um, practices, and culture around how to bring sort of unlikely allies um, into relationship with these issues in ways that will keep them engaged and, and get them to like, to like really like move resources, move support, move money towards these communities where the need is the greatest. Mm. I, I'm so struck by something I've sort of heard as a theme, which is like taking a step back and listening. And we had had a conversation before where I, I was struck by that, um, where you're like, you know, we didn't know what to do this year. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's so much going on. And to just like, take a step back and say, okay, what's happening within? How can we just like, take care of, of those um, around us? And, you know, like, that's a, that's a challenge, like to not like react, you know, like this is one of our great spiritual teachings, I think, and lessons is to, is to like go within in the face of chaos and, you know, catastrophe even and, and see what's there and then listen, um, you know, and then to sort of like turn that back outward and say, um, we're going to take the lead from, from these communities that are really feeling the effects of, of what's happening in the world. And yeah. I don't know. I uh, yeah. Well, so you can go ahead. And well, I was just going to say that I just wanted to like admit and confess that that was such a messy learning mm. for me um, totally. as as like a white privileged woman. Um, you know, because I was trained to be a warrior, and mm -hmm. and at first I was a warrior in the corporate world, and then I was a warrior in the activist world, and they mm. were not unlike one another. You know, like my, that kind of style that I think we're we're trained in yeah. by white supremacy, right? Um, to take control, um, to make assumptions. To get um, the results. To, yeah, yeah, right. To, yeah. to create outcomes and to get to results yeah. no matter what, right? To like deliver impact no matter what. Um, I thought that that was an asset and a gift, mm -hmm. right? And I had to realize by, by quite honestly, being in relationship, especially with people of color, um, mm -hmm. that that was a symptom of my whiteness. And right. that not only was that unproductive, it was harmful, it was harmful right. to relationship building. It was harmful to trust building. It, it prevented me from really listening. It took up space that didn't allow people to step into their power. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of years doing that. <laughs> and, and, and I spent a lot of time being humiliated <laughs> in, the, in the waking up to that mm -hmm. and the pain that came along with that around, you know, how I, whether I intended to or not created harm for the people that I was working with and held them back 
right, and got in the way of their their purpose. And so I just want to like really name that that because I really think that that's alive in our communities, especially in activist communities, especially when there's a sense of urgency. Um, you know, we see a lot of like white folks taking the lead on issues that it's not their role or responsibility to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I I was one of those people because I thought that that was what I was supposed to do, right? So that's just another example of like the like dismantling of like mm-hmm. the constructs and the conditioning because um, I had to like strip that away to really learn how to be a, a so-called ally or an aspiring mm-hmm. ally, right? Because I had to like actually, you know, and it's funny, like even when I, the way in which, you know, the ally culture is evolving, you know, there's like the be sure to say the right words and to make the right moves. And it becomes right. such so performative. And and what I've learned the hard way is like really what we have to do is learn how to be in relationship. We have to learn how to be in relationship with people in a way that allows us to listen and to seek to understand and to not make assumptions and to ask questions and to make mistakes. Mm. <laughs> and and through relationship, actually, the space, the opportunity, and the power emerges for us to actually do the right thing and make a real impact that preserves our collective humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And doesn't restrain it. And so I just want to like, thank you for saying that. And like, I'm constantly learning. And the way that I learn is that I, I stay in relationship with people. I have incredible accountability, you know, peers and friends and partners and collaborators who are not afraid to be like, hey, (laughs) look what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, stop right there. Look what you're doing. Um, It's getting in the way. And, um, and you can do better. And so I had to be courageous enough to let those people into my life and to let, and to yeah. let that feedback into my life in order for me to be, I feel like it, it trained me to become resilient, right? Like, mm. oh, I can make mistakes and I, I'm going to for, for a really long time probably as I continue to unravel this conditioning. But that doesn't hold me back from participating. Right, right. Um, and if I'm courageous right. enough... I'll keep going, you know, and I'll make more mistakes, I'm sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is something that often gets associated with like, I'm just going to sit on my yoga mat yeah. and like be the change. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I get that. Like yeah. it's it sucks to like yeah. realize that you're going to create harm mm-hmm. um, or that you're – the way that you've been, you know – um, conditioned or trained, whether you asked for it or not, mm-hmm. um, has, you know – conditioned you, trained you, primed you <laughs> to impact people in, in, in ways that create discomfort, that um, disempower people. And so that sucks. It's a really shitty experience of waking up, but it's, you know, it's part of, I think, our experience of spiritual practice and, mm-hmm. and awakening and, and, and consciousness raising that we allow ourselves to be in that process as painful and uncomfortable as it is. And we also have the perspective to understand that like our process of awakening is nothing compared to like being oppressed by the system. You right. know, it's like, right. like, let's, let's also like, get real. Yeah. <laughs> With that. Yeah. 
I, I just love hearing everything you're talking about because it's it's what we've talked about so much on this podcast, which is just is yeah. the transformation of both spirituality, like activating spiritual people into real action, as well as um, changing the culture in activism and grounding it in in a spiritual foundation, whatever that means. You know, and I just want to say that, like for me and my journey, and I've probably mentioned this before, but like. I was with activist groups and I was like, so like disillusioned by them and just like, cause everyone was so bogged down by cynicism and blame. And it was just like this awful place to be. And then I was frustrated with all my spiritual communities because they were like, Oh, la di da, let's just, you know, be the change. And, and citizen well, I really felt like was bringing those two things together in a very like active and clear way. And mm, thank you. Um, I mean, I hope yeah, so. I think, you know, like I said, I think what, what makes our work healthy is the fact that we're in the practice of it. We're not above it. We're not outside of it. We're, exactly. we're literally living it um, every step of the way and we're learning. And who we were four years ago is not who we are now. Um, yeah. And we've made lots of mistakes along the way that has act, that has, has actually revealed who we need to be, right? To be right. more. And that will continue to happen, no doubt, right? We'll continue to evolve and change. And But you know what I wanted to say about what you were saying before is that and I didn't believe this for a while. I, I really, I was disillusioned by sort of like the wellness community and their, what I thought was their refusal to wake up um, mm. and to stay asleep and to stay, you know, in their bubble. But I actually think that people really are yearning to move through this work of understanding privilege, yeah. um, of, of really working collaboratively towards creating the conditions where everyone feels like they belong or everyone, right, um, can thrive. And I just think that the, the space, the brave spaces didn't exist everywhere, right? Because on one side of the equation, they were like immaculate spaces where you don't talk about anything having to do with justice or inequality because it will disrupt the, you know, <laughs> the like bliss. <laughs> um, and there was like a lot of spiritual bypass going on because people didn't know how to navigate that work. And then on the other mm -hmm. hand, it, I think there were a lot of spaces where it was really sh shaming, People were really being judged and demonized for not being woke enough. And so, right, right, like how do we create brave spaces that hold every, everyone's like real yearning to be in connection and relationship um, mm. and love, right? Yeah. And allows for the mistake making, allows for the messiness of where we are right now in our systems, allows for not knowing, allows for people to be impacted by one another and also to heal and forgive and love. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that look like? And I think when we create the right container for that, people are a hell yes yeah. to having hard conversations, to leaning into being uncomfortable, you know, to feeling deeply to, and to doing something about it. And so I feel like if nothing else, like I want to be a commitment to that, like those, how do we create those spaces, those conversations, those relationships, those communities where that work can emerge? Yes, so much. Yes to that. I think that that is one of the big challenges that we have right now um, is to develop those types of communities because I think you're absolutely right that people are really yearning for them. And probably... You know, I, I'm thinking maybe white people more than anything. I, th I think that a lot of people of color already have 
some of those communities. That's right. And in some ways, it's a real deficiency in, in our culture. That's right. And that means that we have to learn how, like, and I think that just requires some discernment, right? Like, it's like, um, like, how do white people, like, what is the work that white people have to do with white people, <laughs> Yeah. Right. In ways that don't harm people of color who have been living that story and that education and that awakening, you know, for all of their lives. Um, so, like, what does it look like to actually, like, make sure different people get what they need in different ways and not make assumptions that we all need the same thing? So I think you're absolutely right. Um, well, Carrie, I would love to hear about what's in the works for Citizen Well. I think you have some new projects coming up. Oh, we have... Um, we have a podcast coming out called Citizen, C-T-Z-N, which is why it's super exciting to be on this podcast with you because yeah. all of a sudden I've become podcast obsessed. Um, <laughs> and I realize that that's a thing. Like people become podcast obsessed yes. when they when they start <laughs> yeah. that process. So it's it's really cool to be getting into a new medium. And, um, and, and, and Citizen Podcast really is um, a conversation about what it looks like to be in a practice of citizenship. Um, where everyone belongs, right? Where we're, we're every day in our everyday lives creating the conditions for well-being for all people. And, and one of the things that we identify as part of that work is, is sort of this crisis of civic engagement that, that we're experiencing, that you know, civic engagement or citizenship often emerges when there's a crisis or when there's an election <laughs> or when there's a controversy. And like, and we really actually want to redefine or reimagine citizenship um, as a part of our everyday lives, as a part of our spiritual practice, as a part of our culture of simply how we take care of ourselves and one another. And so we're talking to like lots of different people about their perspectives on citizenship and what it looks like to be in a practice of solidarity um, and all of the authentic ways in which we can engage, whether that's through um, writing or through art or through music or through politics or through lobbying um, or through activism or through civil disobedience. And so we've talked to Marianne Williamson and Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams and, and Mark Gonzalez, who is this incredible storyteller activist, spoken word poet, and and we're just really listening and learning from all of the different perspectives that we hope will shape this new idea of citizenship, um, especially given that that word has become so politicized, right, by immigration policy, by building a wall, um, by qualifying what it means to be a citizen, by where you come from or what language you speak or what documents you have. And so we're like, what does it look like to reclaim the spirit of citizenship as like what we simply do for one another and for humanity. And so it's been a really cool project um, that's allowing us to talk to a lot of different people. And like I said, I'm, I'm podcast obsessed. Um, but even more than that, I what I love about this podcast medium, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is that it's about letting the conversation emerge like you talk to different people and something happens and a conversation is emerging constantly and yes, you can't control yeah. it. But it's like there's a story that's happening um, just by being in relationship and just by being in courageous conversation with people about things that matter. And so we're we're, we're excited about this new medium and about um, rolling this out and totally vulnerable, by the way. It's one of the most vulnerable things I think I've ever done. Mm. And I don't know why. Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't even know why. Because, you know, I've done like TED Talks and that was scary. Mm -hmm. But this feels 
this feels stripped down, I think, um, in a way yeah. that it can't be performed. Um, it's about real talk. It's about taking risks and, um, and, and leaps um, in relationship and in conversation. I'm also finding that people are really forthcoming and vulnerable on podcasts in mm. ways that I haven't experienced in other mediums like panels or, you know, interviews or um, yeah. program. Anyway, so it's been I'm excited about that. And, and, and I'm excited about especially given that given what's happening right now with DACA, you know, th this immigration debate as if it's a debate, it feels like such a central <laughs> story to like who we are going to become like mm -hmm. and what you know and yeah. and what's at stake for humanity and and the the denying of one's existence the deciding that some people belong and some people don't the tearing our families apart um the devastation the degradation feels like the antithesis to who we are and i just feel like it's a conversation we need to tackle because i think it's it's really central to like where we go from here. And so I'm excited to be to be in that conversation with a lot of different people so that that we can learn and so that maybe collectively we can reshape and reimagine what it means. Mm. That's so exciting. I'm really really excited to hear. It has it launched already or No, no, it to... hasn't launched. Okay. Here's another example of like moving at the speed of patience and trust, you right. know, he's <laughs> like, I've been like, we have to launch it. And, and everyone's like, what's the rush, you know? <laughs> um, so take your time and let the conversation. About so anyway, so we've got about six episodes that we're in uh, post-production on now. So it'll come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and we're just excited for it to join sort of, you know, the family of podcasts like this one that are, disrupting and inspiring a new kind of conversation and um and that can be kind of in a larger ecosystem of like creating this new narrative mm -hmm. you know of mm -hmm. of what it means yeah. to rise and what it means to come together and what we believe and what we're going to do together yeah mm. well we're excited to welcome you into the podcast family <laughs> thank you <laughs> um well, this has been so great. I don't know if there's anything else um, we want to touch on before we wrap up. I just want to thank you. I mean, I'm, I really love this podcast. Um, and I, I really appreciate where you're standing at the intersection as well of, of spiritual practice and, and activism and social change. And, and, I, you know, I really think that like, we need everyone having different conversations in different mm -hmm. ways. And like, there's room for everyone. Yeah. Right. Especially at this intersection where I think we're doing some really important bridging mm -hmm. um, and straddling um, and holding the paradox and the contradictions. And so I just want to, I just want to appreciate you all for having taken that leap already and for standing in that space and yeah. And for just being a part of this sort of think whatever it is that's emerging that's you know mm -hmm. in this space of spiritual activism um I know for me it feels like belonging and family and um so I, I feel really grateful that that you're already occupying it thanks well thank you we're, yeah that's really sweet yeah it's it's been really I have to say it's just been nice to feel like We've been in this space. We've been talking to other people who are have started or thinking about starting podcasts in this sort of like general area of spirituality and activism or wellness and activism. And it's been really nice to feel like we don't have to be in competition with one another, but totally. that we're all really part of a community that are supporting one another and bringing our own unique perspectives to these issues and, you know, each eliciting sort of different facets of the 
of the issue as a whole. Yeah, we need, I mean, we need each other, right? We need everyone yeah. bringing their voice and their perspective and because um, we're all touching different people in different ways and, um, and we need everybody. Yeah. Well, Carrie, one of the things we like to do at the end of our episodes is ask uh, the question, what is nourishing or inspiring you right now? And we're just asking for recommendations, resources. It can be a piece of art, music, a book, a practice, whatever it is that um, is kind of bringing you hope right now. Mm. Uh, you know, relationship is bringing me nourishment right now. And, and I can see lots of things around I mean, I'm, I've been allowing myself to be more creative and that's been um, really nourishing instead of like, you know, practical, which was like how I was trained. But to me, like the thing that helps me like build the most capacity um, and like fill myself back up and, and, and give me hope and shift my perspective is just like being in relationship with amazing people and and creating the time and the space to just like be with one another without having to get shit done or do anything you know it's like how can we just be together in a way that um that allows everybody to be who they are and that's that's been just really especially since the election profound um and helpful for me especially when you're in a time where like there's not enough you can do it just right it's like you could work all day long and still not get enough done given what's at stake and so um for me, what I get back from being in relationship with friends and peers and collaborators and, and partners goes far beyond um, anything I do. And so that's been my medicine lately. Hmm. What about you, Chelsea? Um, I just listened to Tattoos on the Heart on audiobook. And um, it's, it's this book written by Father Greg Boyle, who uh, is a Catholic priest who works with um, gang members in Los Angeles. And my friend who recommended this book insisted that I listen to it on audio because Father Greg Boyle narrates it himself. And it's so good. And it's so full of amazing spiritual wisdom. And it's not contrived. And it's like, I was just like in tears through like the entire book, like on the subway listening to these like really touching stories about, about service and action. And, um, it was really touching. I highly recommend it. I just picked up that book. I'm so excited about it. Oh, and I good. love Father Boyle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. Yeah, he's incredible. Mm. What about you, Rebecca? I was just thinking about how I miss um, when I lived in L.A. at the farmer, all the farmer's markets. They always have like a, a homeboy industries, which is Father Greg oh, Boyle's yeah. organization. He started is always selling like delicious baked goods. And I was like, oh, I miss... I miss the bread that they used to buy at the farmer's market. Um, Yeah, so mine is kind of a strange one, actually. Um, So this is about the ways in which sometimes things that are difficult can actually nourish us in the long run. And um, a little over a week ago, I had a really bad back injury. Nothing that's, like, debilitating in the long run, but it was for the last week has been very, very debilitating to me. Like, Like, could barely move around, like couldn't bend over and do things for myself. I was managing to drive myself to the doctor's office. And when I got to the the building, people there were just like, why are you not in a wheelchair? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, and what, what it did for me this past week is, and, and I'm not someone who necessarily has a super, super busy go, go, go lifestyle all the time. Like I have a lot of space in my days for breathing and reflection and spiritual practice and things like that. But 
I was all of a sudden put into this place where I was mostly bedridden for a couple days. I was very dependent on other people to help me out. I was in a lot of pain, um, which was kind of like making me spiral down into a little bit of a depressed place. And I also had decided earlier, like that for the month of February, I was going to eat vegan. And I'm so, so I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm in so much pain. I'm like depressed because I can't get up and move around. I feel really dependent and I can't even order a pizza to make myself feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't sound crazy, but I had to ask myself, I was like, what's going on here? And maybe my body is trying to like give me an opportunity for something. And what's the opportunity in this? And for me, it was really like one, looking at a lot of my patterns around how I, when I'm feeling sadness or discomfort, I reach for maybe food uh, to sort of fill that or, um, or like it's just easy for me to like jet off to like a new adventure or another fun thing or just something else to do. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't like really even get out of bed barely. And I just like had to sit there with like my pain. And I had, I did a lot of crying this week and like sort of like letting go of some old emotions. I did a lot of like deep reflection. Um, and it was also, I think really good for me because as a, a medical provider, it's really easy to forget how awful it is to be in a place where you're in pain and sick and debilitated and like really reliant on other people to take care of you. And I always think every time something like this happens to me, I'm like, oh, this is so good. Like everybody who's like a doctor or a nurse, like needs to get really sick once in a while to remember what it's like. Yeah. Because it's easy to forget when you're taking care of patients. So, yeah, that's been my journey. And I'm feeling much better now. I'm actually going to go back to work this this week and stuff. So uh, it's all fine. But Welcome back. Um, <laughs> thanks. That's why that's a, that's a profound learning. And, a, and I know it. And I still have to go through it every once in a while to remember it. Yeah, and it's really good perspective. Wow, thanks for sharing. Well, thank you so much for being here, yeah, Carrie. It was really you. great to talk to you and just to um, also feel your energy. Like you always have like such an amazing, like super, uh, what do I want to say? Like, I don't know, like rousing energy that I appreciate. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's been awesome being here with you all and, and being in this conversation with you. And um, it's like we get to talk the same language and appreciate similar things mm. and um and that always feels affirming yeah definitely and where can people go to to find out more about citizen well and your work yeah thank you um you can go to citizenwell.org and it's c-t-z-n-w-e-l-l.org um you can find us on facebook and twitter um our podcast is called citizen podcast c-t-z-n podcast it'll be coming out in the next couple weeks and oh we just started a patreon page um so if you go to patreon.com slash citizen well um we're really trying to build a community around around patronage and about around participation and around um supporting one another and doing this work and 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 continuing to do it for the long run yeah great thank you all right Well, have a good one. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks so much, y'all. Bye. If you want to hear more episodes on spirituality and activism, check out listentotherising.com. And even better, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time on The Rising. The Rising.